What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Bounds Network. My name is John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review as it really helps out a lot. Other than that, this is the last podcast before the new year, which I'm pretty stoked about. We're on episode, what is it, 88, 89, something like that now. So it's pretty exciting. So I'm really excited to have kept this going and honestly we just got so many more cool guests lined up in the new year and uh we, we're gonna have a few few good ones uh that i already have scheduled which i'm pretty excited about but anyways let's dive into this week's episode and that is with simon kessler simon kessler is an ex-pro cyclist which is now one of the like highest level coaches that i've met um to date uh that works with some of the guys that have gone on to ef education israel startup nation uh He's coached guys like Daryl Impey, Kevin Vimark, uh, and many more. Uh, but yeah, so we sit down and we talk about his career, him as a coach. I think it's very interesting how some of these coaches kind of just go unheard of. And so we get to hear about him as a coach, and we also get to hear about him and as an athlete, as well as we get to figure out who you like, who you want to have coffee with. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. But first, let's hear a quick message from the sponsors and back for another episode is Spot. Spot covers your medical bills up to $20,000 each time you get injured. Spot will cover your actual out-of-pocket costs instead of a fixed fee. In a world where many people are under or uninsured with sky-high deductibles, Spot fills that gap that is sorely lacking in the outdoor space. Spot has no deductible and it is a monthly subscription can be canceled at any time. Spot works whether you have health insurance or not. While Spot works with and covers a lot of cyclists and mountain bikers, Spot covers you 24 7 worldwide whether you're ripping a crit skiing a black diamond chopping up food in your kitchen or climbing mount everest you can go check them out at croom.getspot.com that's croom.getspot.com also back for another episode is twisted spoke cbd guys i've talked about twisted spoke several several times and they are a huge supporter of this podcast and honestly they make some of the best cd cbd product that i've ever had um, and it's created by two cyclists so go check them out at twistedspokecbd.com that's twistedspokecbd.com and yeah you my favorite is their peppermint tincture helps me sleep super well they have the cbn version which is the nighttime version so check that out at twistedspokecbd.com that's twistedspokecbd.com now, for a new sponsor of the podcast, Zill Pro Bike Bags. Zill Pro is a bike bag that you can put over top of your bike while it's on a standard rack on the back of your car to cover your bike and keep it protected for those long travels. You guys know that I drive a van, um, so Zill Pro is one of the key key tools that I use to keep my bikes protected and safe on the back of my van, and it also keeps them clean. So check them out at zealpro.com. That's zealpro.com. All you have to do is go to the description below um, and check out www.zealpro.com. And I'll also put the link in the description below. Other than that, let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats. My name is John Kroom, um, and this is Simon Kessler. Guys, I uh, had the pleasure of meeting Simon uh, via email. Um, you know, he he let me in on some of the athletes athletes that he's been coaching as well as some of these athletes that have even come on this podcast, which is really cool. And uh, I got to thinking, like, there's so many athletes that we know about that we get excited about and we get pumped on, um, and we don't really know who their coaches are. And I feel like the coaches are super humble and they hide hide behind um, hide behind the successes and 
and, and, and really kind of keep it under wraps. So I wanted to bring Simon on just to get to know Simon as a person and as a coach. And so, yeah, Simon, how are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing well, John. How are you doing? Great. Yeah. Uh, thanks for jumping on this early podcast. This is, this is 8 a.m. for us guys. So <clears throat> we're going to sound groggy. These are some of the first people we've talked to this morning. I don't know about Simon, but um, I like to sleep. And, uh, but I'm always up by like six, so I'm up and moving. It's probably the same with you, man, with coaching, right? Yeah, definitely. Plus I have a five-year-old and, uh, and yeah, dogs and chickens. So yeah, <laughs> up early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, fun times. And I think, I think too, like with coaching, right? Like, I mean, I'm a coach as well. And so like you, the first thing you want to do is obviously you, you work on your own and you, you kind of set your own schedule. But what I've noticed is when you set your own schedule, you try to get the work done as early as possible so you can just go about your day and do the other things <laughs> that you have to do that day, right? I, I totally relate, yeah. I mean, on a Monday, I'm often up at five, bombing <laughs> up, going through all my client stuff, trying to be yeah. done by, you know, by lunchtime, and then yeah, I can yeah. uh, relax and do something else, yeah. Go for a ride, do something else. But <laughs> exactly. yeah, so, so tell me a little bit about you. Like I said, you know, I got your, I got, I got your email and I did some, did some baby research on you, just like diving into Instagram, social media, but like, who are you and, and where do you find yourself in the sport of even cycling or, or multi-sport or whatever you coach and so on and so forth? Sure. So uh, my background, I was born in South Africa, but my parents are European, French and German. So I grew up in South Africa, uh, racing okay. on the track and the road. And I was multiple time national champion of South Africa. And um, when I was 18, I moved to France. My dad is French and I lived uh, in Paris three years and I raced there. I was provincial champion there on the track and the road and also on the national team with second friend, in, the French, with, with in friends, france yeah, yeah i was okay. second in the french championships in the points race and the team pursuit and uh then i was a stagiaire uh, on a french team the the last team if people know their cycling the last team of sean kelly who retired that year yeah uh, i was in his team back and this is 1994 we're talking about uh, a long time ago yeah, <laughs> and, yeah i was uh, born in 93 so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I had an injury, an iliac artery in injury, which some people have heard about in cycling, where the where your leg, the circulatory problem. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had that happen when I was 20. And my dream was always to race in the Tour de France. But that stopped my career for two or three years. Uh, I had an operation that actually messed me up. And I came back three years later for another operation in, in uh, 97, had that operation, and that actually fixed the problem that I had with the blood circulating into my leg. It was being pinched at the top like a like a hose pipe, you know. So oh, wow. it wasn't flowing in. So they basically shortened it by by an inch and they took a piece from my ankle and, and that actually fixed my leg. So I made my comeback. But at that point, my dreams of making it as a pro uh, after racing three years in France were pretty much over. I was 22 years old. But I started racing in South Africa again. And long story short, I ended up winning the pro national champs in South Africa after coming back for a year, a lot of hard work. Um and then I ended up turning pro for the team that ultimately today became MTN Quebec. Uh, so, or Next Hash, uh, Quebec, Next Hash, you know, they've been in the Tour de France. Uh, yeah, yeah. They actually so was, just folded, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically when I was, you know, I was there three, four years, I took a young Daryl Impey under my wing at that point who, you oh, know, wow. ended up winning a stage in the Tour de France, the yellow jersey. I coached him. Uh, I also coached one of my teammates. You probably know Danny Pate. Uh, when yeah. he was... When he was world champion in 2001, um, I coached the bronze medal uh, behind him, uh, oh, okay. who was my teammate at the time in 2001 in the time trial, James Perry. 
so that's where I started my coaching. My dad was coaching Olympic athletes. Um, I was coaching and racing at that time. Uh, I met my wife in 2002 and ended up moving to a place called Tampa, Florida, a place I'd never heard of. Oh, wow. Uh, so I went from racing six years professionally to uh, living in Florida, which isn't really the cycling mecca of the world, you know? That's like, the, but that's the definition. <laughs> like if you're going to move, there's like a, there's like a list of 10 places that you can move. And if you want the TV-esque American life experience, I feel like it's going to be in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> like the the amount of just like crime rate and just craziness it's it's happening in florida and i'm sorry to all my florida floridian listeners but let's, <laughs> let's be honest here guys i think like when we all heard of bath salts that came from florida right <laughs> so that had to be an experience right a shell shock uh it was a shell shock uh because well firstly the riding was limited right it's so flat and and it's yeah. kind of it is pretty dangerous um you know, my career was done at that point. I'd raced six years professionally. I was two times professional road champion, also African time trial champion. Um, so at that point, my, my racing was done. So I was kind of, you know, starting coaching, but also working a little bit at that point, like starting what were, full time. What were the rules back then? Because it sounds like, and you know, because your story is like, it's kind of interesting. At one point, you're, you know, you're smashing it in South Africa, and then you end up in France, and then you're on the national team. So what was it like? trying to switch nationalities and and move around and you know what i mean yeah well because my dad is french i have a french passport so i actually have three passports now so um so when i grew up i raced for south africa and i was representing south africa also internationally i was selected for the world championships to represent south africa uh, and then when i turned 18 because i had a french passport when i moved to france i was then able to also compete as a frenchman um, because of that nationality so see it's not that easy anymore like and yeah. you, you probably know this but you know i mean we have a, a guy on a team that <clears throat> is american and then switched uh become irish and i mean he has an irish passport but you have to go through the steps with the uci um now and i don't think you can switch back like i don't think you can go really? back and race for team usa so like once the switch is done it's done yeah no back then it it really there was none of that uh, it's it just was, like a driver's license like here you go yeah exactly you know? wow. it's like when i fly to france i show my french passport when i come back in the u.s i show my u.s passport it's then that's the system now like for travel right but yeah like, yeah for sure like, I, like that you know yeah well i have some teammates that have a euro passport and they'll yeah, they they blow right through the line when we end up in London Heathrow or whatever, you know. So yeah. it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. So yeah, so three passports. So the government's probably listening in on our Zoom call now. Um, but <laughs> but but yeah. So so switching back and forth wasn't that difficult. You've ended up in Tampa. Now you're kind of coaching, and so I'm assuming there's a process of where you start to kind of you know, hang the bike up and now become a coach. And where does that process start? So, yeah, so I, at that point, I didn't really have the desire, the hunger anymore to race professionally. I was kind of burned out from racing. And, and but I've always enjoyed coaching. I, I already started coaching as a junior. So, I mean, I'd been coaching on and off just on the side for fun. Um, so, yeah, I started going full-time probably around 2005, uh, full-time coaching. Um, you know, I, I was already coaching some of my former teammates one was winning a lot of races in the u.s as a pro back then darren he was racing on navigators and also he raced on um bmc yeah as well 
so I was coaching him back then. He did well in Tour of Georgia and all that. And I was coaching a whole gamut of abilities. In Florida, I, I got to meet some amazing people. One thing about Florida is that it, even though, uh, you know, people from the outside think it's a crazy place, and it, I guess it is kind of crazy, but it has some of the most uh, welcoming, fun, uh, social group riding. Um, oh, they do. Country. They yeah. they have like some of the best group rides. I mean, I hear, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and this, this might be different parts of Florida, but I've heard that there's like money sprints on some of these group rides. Like, yeah, like there's some, ri- there's some rich dudes who literally just be like, yo, hundred dollars, the next stop sign first guy. Yeah. In South Florida, especially, I think they have a lot of that. And I mean, those races, you'll literally be switched across the road into the oncoming traffic if you're not careful because it's, wow. it's that crazy and that competitive and it, it is a bit nuts, but it's, it's also, I, I mean, I've done even group rides in Tampa where there's been money on the, on the, on the different sprints for sure. Yeah. That's so and much fun. I mean, it's, it's uh, obviously we're, we're talking about very dangerous things here guys, and it's not like something <laughs> yeah. that we're just out, out doing. Um, but yeah, that's all I've heard about is the, you know, there's that one guy who, who puts up a couple hundred bucks for on a ride and, and they pretty much sprint it. But I mean, these are also the same rides where you're doing like, hundred miles in three and a half hours. Cause it's just so yeah, flat. It's so flat and fast, Yeah, but it, yeah. it is a fun. And that's actually, cause since I moved to Colorado, like four years ago, that's honestly, I found, I haven't found it as friendly and as welcoming by any it's, means. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive that you say yeah. that. And so I, I kind of felt the same. So I moved here in 2017 oh, yeah. in Colorado Springs. Um, and I'm from South Carolina. So I'm from that, like, that East coast, like we all race, right? Like, you know, yeah. Florida comes up and that's probably where it stops. Cause the, the racing starts to break into like Philly. There's not much racing in Virginia. It starts to go into like DC area, mm-hmm. which is like 11 hours away, but pretty much from South Carolina down to Florida, that's like our racing scene. I think for the most part, like the guys would come up for the Hinkapi series. We would go down early on for like, uh, what is it? Like the bone. Yeah. The bill um, bones. Yeah. Yeah. The bill bones yeah. series and, and crits and road races. And so it's like a big, you know, Tennessee, Georgia, that whole little, little area, all races with each other. And when I moved to Colorado, the amount of, I'm going to stare at you on your bike, but I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that you exist, mm-hmm. um, yeah. is a ton. Like they just, there's no yeah. waving and I've even become acceptable to it. Like I just don't wave anymore. Like at this point. Yeah. And it's surprising to me because, you know, I, I live near Boulder and I've, I find it everyone seems super like serious and and they're not interested in getting to know anybody on a group ride really it's just yeah, it's like wild. They're there to do their business and they go home and they don't want to know who you are they just want to yeah. ride hard and and it coming from florida it was quite a shock honestly because in florida everybody knows everybody everybody's welcoming and friendly and happy and these are like 100 people group rides yeah you know in yeah. florida yeah so yeah i had the same experience as you and i'm not sure why that is um but i I think also the terrain here, you know, it's so different and everybody seems to be very focused on their training and they're doing it. They have their coach and they're following their training plan. And they, whereas in Florida, I think people do the group ride also primarily for the social and fun aspect, you know, they're not sure, you know what I mean? It's not for their training plan. They have to do this hard session in the, in the group ride or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? But I mean, I mean, there's like what that left-hand Canyon, but there's that road in Boulder that is, yeah that pretty much you, you there you will see about 100 people on in any given summer day and yeah. everybody's doing their own workouts 
Nobody's yeah. waving at each other, which is just like Florida in the sense that except for all those people would have met at the same time and they would have just done the same ride. Yeah. <laughs> like I would actually be shocked to see like on any given Tuesday in Boulder, how many people actually do the same rendition of a ride. Yeah. You know, true. and, but, and there are some group rides, but it's, it's not friendly. Like most of them aren't friendly at all. Like I've done a few. Yeah. And I, it's, I think it's also because people don't do the same group right over and over. So it's like you go once to one and then to another. So people don't really get to know each other. And Florida is only one or two in like every town. So everybody goes to the same one week in, week out. Yeah. But yeah, it is an interesting, and I, I think also what I've, you know, the, the most humble and friendly people are, are normally the top pros, you know, like the mm -hmm. best guys who have nothing to prove. Yeah. But then everybody in between often have a little bit of insecurity. Like who's this new guy coming, you know, like sure. this guy's stronger than me or, and we've all been there though. Yeah. Yeah. We've all so, been, we've all been there in some weird way. I used to be that guy. You might not have been that guy, but I, I thought I was too cool for school. And now like I've realized that that even makes my group ride suck. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, and you like, don't even really realize it. Um, but I mean, especially for Boulder, like I know we even try to go up to super training when oh, yeah. we can, yeah. um, which I've never been, but I've heard that's one of the best group rides in Colorado. Yeah, I've done that one. Uh, I, I heard mean, it's it, hard. It's, it's it can get hard depending on the time of year, and yeah. it's a huge. You might, yeah, it's like could be a hundred riders, and normally they race the end as well. It, it's wow. pretty good. It it was all for a year or so, but now it's back. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's a good ride. I mean, there's some great rides, but it's if you're coming from Florida with the mindset like you're going to meet a bunch of people and make friends, uh, it's not really like that. Like I haven't had I that experience. You. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I got a question. I mean, this come from, from one coach to another. Um, and I gotta be honest, like, even when you wrote me, like, I kind of was just like, Oh God, here we go. Another cycling coach, you know, mm -hmm. do you kind of feel like when you tell somebody you're a cycling coach in the cycling space, they're just like, Oh Jesus. It's almost like you've become this like door to door salesman, like almost instantly, or like a telemarketer almost instantly, you get what I'm saying. And so do you feel like maybe some of that in Boulder is kind of where that came from? Yeah. Well, in Boulder, honestly, I don't even, I don't even say anything because, you know, <laughs> my, most of my clients are actually international or, or out of state. Like yeah. I only have, I think I have like two or three clients locally. So, okay. um, I have clients all around the world. Um, so honestly, I'm not even trying to tell people that I'm a, a cycling yeah. coach. Um, and I don't even bother and bother because every second person is a cycling coach. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> a cycling coach. I, I bet yeah. I bet the majority of my podcast guys that I've had on, girls that I've had on are all cycling coaches. And we've never even, I don't even think I've technically had a cycling coach on this podcast. Yeah. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and so like, it's, it's a dime a dozen. So like part of me wonders like, because that's another thing is like the amount of people that I have come up to me that say they're a cat one. Mm-hmm yeah it's a dime a dozen now yeah, like it's yeah. and, and so I, when you said that i was like i wonder if it was just like oh he showed up he's a cycling coach and they're like oh shit another cycling coach has moved to boulder <laughs> you know yeah no no i mean i've had like i said i've had a, a long history working with guys and um you know i coach kevin from marca so like my passion i coach all levels right but like my, i'm really passionate about the juniors because i had that same journey where i went to europe when i was 18. i yeah. got my driver's license and four days later i had a car from my grandfather organized me in france driving on the right side of the road and i was i learned on the left side and i had to drive <laughs> yeah. through paris 18 all over europe yeah uh, it was a lot of fun and 
Um, so that journey of trying to make it as a pro, I, I lived that as well, you know, in yeah. my young years. So, and you I did would, it. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I did it. I didn't make it to the, like back then the, the team, which has just followed Quebec was, was more like a smaller continental team. You know, it wasn't like a world tour team back then. Yeah. Yeah. A bit of a, so, but I raced US pro champs twice. I was twice in the front, uh, when it wasn't Philly. I uh, got 13th the one year, which was pretty good. That was the year that they mixed up US Pro. So like 10th place could actually win the national championship. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And first place was $40,000. Oh, uh, and and it was like my pay, all the best teams in the world came for that race. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was there was a lot of fun. I mean, it was with Ekimo of all the guys from US Postal. Yeah, you were racing. That's That's actually an interesting thing to bring up too. You were racing when prize money was like, absurd like you could actually make a living off one race yeah. i mean by living i mean that's a living that some guys dream to have just in a salary like and you were making that off one race you could yeah like toodle kawi which was we i did that uh, five times which is a mass i mean at a fourth highest price purse you know every stage was like a few th five to ten thousand dollars i think like first place wow. you know and they used to pay like top 30 or something it was crazy wow. um so yeah, there was a, there was quite a bit of money back then in certain races, uh, but US Pro was the biggest in the world at that time for money, uh, forty grand for first. I remember I got thirteenth, and I think I made three thousand for thirteenth. Wow. So Jeez. that was pretty good, you know. <laughs> that's a good day, yeah. No, that's a good day in the office. And so yeah. one thing I want to kind of touch on is, and and kind of going back is like you know being a cycling coach and kind of not being known, I guess more or less, mm -hmm. you know, right yeah. away. Um, but you've worked like the talent that you've worked with, like I'm assuming you, you worked work. with them before they were even designated fully talent, right? Like I never heard of yeah. Kevin until Kevin signed to DSM really. Yeah. And so that means that somebody had to work with him, you know, before that. And so how did, how did these people find you or how did they get in contact with you? And, and I understand if like, there's like some contact stuff, yeah. like, sure. No. You know, well, it, it depends. Like for, I also coached the late uh, Jacqueline Crowell when she was a junior and she was national champion. Um, that was back in 2008. But Kevin is an interesting story because his dad and I used to race together. Okay. Uh, and it, we raced in Belgium together uh, back in the day and in, and in South Africa. And I started coaching Kevin when he was like 14 years old, yeah. 14, 15, very young. Um, and I've, I've guided him like, you know, until the world tour um he was a small break when he was at whole athlete where he had to be coached by them but i was still his advisor and then once he turned under 23 he asked me to coach him again um and then i helped him win liege baston liege under 23 and he had a really good season with action that year and um he you know and then he ended up on dsm now dsm they have like five full-time coaches so once they go to the world tour you know you, you but I st I'm still involved with Kevin from a distance. I don't coach him, but I still am there for him and advise him and talk to him. But, but from, from helping Kevin progress, I also ended up coaching guys on the Lux team, like Roy Nickman. He, he really liked what I was doing with some of the other guys. Yeah. Um, like I helped Brody and Ian both win gold to track nationals when they were juniors, uh, Brody McDonald. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ian Ulrich. And then, um, Kyle Cromie, who was on Lux, I guided him to turn pro, well, to get on SEG, which is the under-23 team, but like one of the best development teams in Europe. Yeah, so I yeah. coached him to get onto that team, but he ended, he's actually stopped racing now. We can talk about that in a bit, what it takes to make it. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, just building a reputation with Lux over the years and them really liking what I'm doing with the young guys, they started referring some more people to me. Um, so this year I've had three guys who are going to world tour development teams. You know, we have Colby Simmons, Quinn's brother, who I coached yeah. this year. Um, Ethan Villaneda, who's going to the EF development team. And then Cole, who's going to the, the, the Israel Startup Nation development team. At nationals, I had four riders then. All of them uh, got medals, either gold or silver at, at Road Nats, which was wow. good. So I got both the win of the TT and road race, uh, which is, I mean, that's a lucky day for a coach. You know, that's not going to happen every year. Yeah, so, I no, mean, that's The thing impressive. with coaching is, you know, you can be a good coach, but you, your athletes also make you look good as well. You know, it's like, it's like, but it can work both ways, right? Well, so, yeah, well, that's the, that's kind of like where I'm getting at is like, as a, you know, even if there's like some new coaches that are listening to this, like, you know, like I say, how does that guy become that guy? You know what I mean? And, and that yeah. coach and, and, you know, you always wonder is like, you know, you hear about these coaches and you're like, wow, what, like, you know, how did they even know, meet that athlete? And I, I do think that comes from, I don't think it's necessarily always the athlete as much as it is the coach pulling the potential out of the athlete, which I think is what's impressive and where mm -hmm. it becomes very humble in the, in the, um, in the coaching space. Um, but then that all being said, you know, diving back into, you know, what it takes to make it, um, that's kind of that was kind of my question loaded was, uh, how do you find these guys that you think that can make it? You know what I mean? Cause it's a very select few. And I had this conversation with, with not Roy Nickman, but about Roy Nickman's team is, you know, you have, you have 10 guys on Lux, right? You mm -hmm. have 10 kids and all 10 of them are pretty talented. Right. And yeah. then you have, then you have the two who, are the standouts right and they and by standout i don't necessarily know if they're like insanely better than the, the other eight but they just they have just stood out that year right and then you know but what happens to the other eight you know what i mean and so you have these two go on to rally or trek segafredo or Ineos or what have you and then you have eight other guys who are just there and it's really hard because it's like, you know, rally can't sign everybody. And then yeah. the next closest best thing is some USA crits team, which is a fourth of the support that they've experienced on Lux and honestly a step backwards. You know what I mean? So there's like almost nowhere for them to go unless they want to move to Europe. So mm -hmm. what do you think? Like, do you think that might be actually some of the issue in the sport more than it is the issue of the not having what it takes to make it? I mean, I think, you know, I think that's, that's part of it. Um, but I, I do think if you have the talent uh, and you ha have the hunger, um, you know, those opportunities will, those doors will open. But, um, but yeah, I think I, I do agree. There's not enough um, structure, especially locally, like a step for that in-between rider who doesn't get a good ride in Europe, but then now has to, you know, still wants to make it, but now has to settle to race in the U.S. Because every year you race in the U.S., you're, you're losing ground on the guys who are racing under 23 in Europe, racing, you know, baby Giro, the total year. I mean, you, you definitely, they're, they're gaining on you just by the, the level that they're racing at, you know. So, I mean, it's a tough question. Um, you know, what I see is in a team like Lux, there'll be, you know, one or two or three who can go all the way, uh, potentially. Um, that doesn't mean the others can't physically, 
but it's it's much more than physical, right? I mean, a lot of guys don't have the mental um, desire to to really stick it out in Europe, where it's not as fun as being at home. It you know it, it sucks a lot of the time. Um, it's not easy. You know, you have to. That's give one up thing I noticed. That's that's <laughs> as, it's funny that you say that. It's one thing I noticed is like how many talented guys go over and they just don't want to be there. Yeah. It's yeah. Cause it's, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you go and you're living, you're used to your home comforts and, you know, you hang out with your friend and your girlfriend and you know, all that good weather in California. Now you're in Europe and you're on your own and you have to cook your own food and do your own laundry. And, you know, the mentality is very different as well. The mindset of, of the people and that might be very foreign for you. If you're, all those things can can play on you and, and make it very challenging. So you really have to have a very strong burning desire to make it in Europe. And um, it's it's not easy. You know, a guy like Kevin, he's going to make it because he he knows what it takes and he's committed and he accepts all those those things that are tough. You know, even though it's a challenge, he accepts it's part of the journey. But a lot of guys don't accept that. They think it should be like it is back home. You know, it should be comfortable. Um, he sh they shouldn't have to do their laundry and they have all this other stress around just living in general that they take a lot of energy away from their racing, you know, and they don't, they don't, they're not able to focus on, on their racing. So it really does require a lot of um, flex ad adaptability to the situation and a long-term view because you go there the first year or two and most guys, you know, people look at Pogacar and Bernal and they think that's normal now, but that's not yeah. normal, right? You know, most guys need three or four years at, under 23 just to get to the level of the world tour right even if they're super talented as juniors um so you you got to realize that the first year or two you might just be really suffering on the back just you know like hardly keeping up i can tell you an interesting story um daryl Impey, who you know we all he's become a really top pro right i mean yeah, he won yeah. he won um Tour down under twice. He's yellow jersey in the Tour de France, to stage winner in the Tour de France. I have his yellow jersey here, actually. Oh, awesome! But, but he, um, you know, I, I arranged for him to go to France when he was eighteen in in to race, and he went over there, and he couldn't cut it. He didn't like it. He didn't enjoy it. Uh, he really suffered. He couldn't handle the level of racing, and he went back to South Africa. And he actually ended up going back to the smaller, like continental team that I was on. I'd retired by then. And he ended up racing there for a few years. And after maybe when he was 23, 24, it took him three or four years. Then that team started having international race opportunities that he, he started to do. And he was now at the level where he could now race as a pro in Europe. But he had to go back home for a few years just to find his feet again and find his love of the sport again after getting his head kicked in in France as a, as a under 23. And then yeah. it took him, you know, by the time he got 25, I think that's when he got his first real contract, um, you know, which was, he ended up on Radio Shack and then, he, you know, and then he's been on Mitchelton Scott and now he's on Israel. But so, so it took him, most guys would have quit the sport at that point, right? Most guys would have come home at, at 19 and they probably, they might've quit cycling altogether, um, but he stuck with it and, you know, and he's had an incredible career, right? So it, it's really a long-term gain for these a game for these guys, and that's what I think a lot of juniors don't realize. They see Bernal, they see Pogacar, and they think by the time they're twenty, they should be riding riding the Tour de France, and it's just not reality, you know. What does your conversation look like with a rider that calls you in October and is like, Simon, I 
I'm fucked. <laughs> Long story short, like I don't I don't think I can keep doing this. Like, you know, I'm I'm 19. I've I've learned, you know, that like, you know, my friends are going to college. I'm in France. I thought this was going to be a lot more fun. I can even drink beer here. But uh yeah, I don't yeah. think I can, I can I don't think I can do this. I can't even eat, you know, I can't even eat more than a lettuce wedge. What's what what should I do? Like, how do you how do you shepherd a kid that you think is talented that you know mentally is just cracking like just can't can't do it i actually had this same conversation probably um yeah i'm assuming you've had to have had it like (laughs) yeah multiple times i'm assuming right like because you 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 look at a kid and you go you could do this and then you throw them in the element and it's just like the wheels start to come off and that's when you start to know like okay yeah it's um you know i had this conversation with a very talented writer who got a really good ride in Europe and then decided it wasn't for him after not spending that much time there in his first year. And my conversation to him was, you know, I think you're going to regret it because you're, you're 19 and you haven't given yourself the chance. You know, you've, you've only spent two months racing in Europe and now you've decided you're done. You know how many guys I've seen like you when they, they get that now they get a job, they go to college, they get a family. And then when they're 35, they decide they're going to race masters now and they, they're going to relive <laughs> the, the thing they missed out on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How many times have we seen that? Right. Oh, uh, it's brutal. It, and, that is the amount of world championship stripes I see in the world is a bit sickening, but anyways, yeah. Conversation yeah. for another day and probably over a beer. And while I'm not on the record, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, my conversation would be, look, if it's not in you and you don't have that burning desire, then yeah, it's probably the right decision to quit, you know, but if you, if you're willing, but realize you may have some major regrets, you know, realize that one day you might have some serious regrets because you're going to realize that everyday life is not necessarily more fun. You know, you're working a job nine to five, you're going to realize, wait a minute, like racing a pros. Okay. I had to suffer for a few hours, but then I was on the couch the rest of the day. I was traveling all around the world. I had things arranged for me. Uh, it actually wasn't as bad as as I made it out to be to convince myself that I was done. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I think you got to you got to. Um, I think the the conversation has to be one, like give have some rest, have a month off, and if you still feel like that, if you truly are done, like I knew when I was done, I was done. Like, like I, w- I had no more desire to suffer and race at that point. But you had checked a lot of boxes. Yeah, I, I'd raced. Yeah. And I was 28 years old. And, you know, I knew that was it was my time. I had done what I wanted to the do. The difference, and, 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 and you say this to a kid who's 19 or 20, the difference between being 28 and 19 is massive. Like, yeah. It's, it, well, when you, it is 10 years, right? But, but at that time, like, at least for me, when I was 20 and uh, my cohort was 28, I didn't really think of him being that much older than me yeah i'm now 28 and when i'm in europe with the 20 year old i'm just like jesus i'm old (laughs) you know what i mean and so um so yeah it's a big difference and so i feel like you stopping at 28 isn't that crazy whereas 19 i mean yeah so i think it's i realize a lot of guys won't make it even if they have the physical talent and it's because of so challenging you know the whole lifestyle and the whole journey um, so my conversation was with them is, you know, give it a bit of time. And if you have zero burning desire anymore to, to get out and race, then maybe you are done, you know, but if there is still that glimmer of desire, um, 
know that this is too soon to stop, you know, because you are going to regret it. And it does take three to five years. I might tell Daryl's story, Daryl MP's story. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, look, it takes many years to get to that level. You can't just decide on your first year at this level that, that you're done, that you're not at the level. You know, you, you need to give yourself time. You need to persevere. Chris Froome, when he was a junior, he grew up he in the same town where I grew up. I wasn't, I'd left by then, but I'd heard from my friends who knew him well. He wasn't really that good rider, you know? I mean, he wasn't like this amazing rider, uh, uh, Chris Froome, at that age, you know? As I think they talk about that. Yeah, I think he yeah. even talks about that. Yeah, but what he did have was perseverance like nobody else, you know? Like he just, just, just went out there and worked harder than anybody else. And years and years and years, I mean, look what he won the tour four times. So yeah. That's actually even more important than than the talent. Although you do need to have the genetics at some level to to make it in Europe, um, the perseverance is even more important if you want to make it like in a in a grand tour and that kind of thing. You know. Wow. Oh, no, that's interesting. I, I I've you know, I I started when I was like nineteen and I didn't have the luxury of of being the kid that went to Europe. You know, I just raced track and then one day I, I had the opportunity to race track on a national level and then turned into international. So I never had like the Kermesse lifestyle or mm-hmm. apartment, a shitty apartment in France or, you know, Mallorca or wherever. Um, I, and I didn't do that. So it's kind of interesting to hear. Cause like, I think about me now, like if I had the opportunity to move to France or Mallorca, I would take it in a heartbeat just to do mm-hmm. it for the experience and, and the racing. But me at 21, 20, you know, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Like I would take it, but I don't think I would take it as seriously as I would take it now. And so that's, that's kind of an interesting thing. It's kind of like, almost like I have this issue with college, which this will just run into a whole different thing. So I won't stay on it too long, but you know, they have you pretty much select your life at the age 18. Like, what do you want to be, you know? And then you have four years to do it. And then if you didn't like it, well, sorry, you're in student debt and you just have to figure it out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of an yeah. interesting thing and it's an interesting system, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's interesting for the bike racing side of things. So anyways, well, we're running short on time, so I don't want to like keep you way, way, way too long. Um, but, uh, just one last question. And this is, uh, this is the classic question that we've always <laughs> had on this podcast. If you could have a cup of coffee with one individual, dead or alive who would that individual be and how would you take your coffee and if you don't drink coffee you can kind of i, I do drink coffee i actually have a my own espresso machine boom yeah yeah uh, you're pretty much not a cyclist unless you but, have one of those but i do have i do foam oat milk with it uh, i like okay. that so yeah I, I have at least two or three of those a day that's awesome so, um but yeah i would say um one person who really has inspired me uh, and comes to mind is um elliot kipchoge the, the runner, the marathon yeah, runner, yeah. the greatest runner of all time, pretty much in the marathon. Yeah. I just watched um, a, a really interesting documentary, The Last Milestone. Okay. Just came out in August. And I mean, his his mindset and and just, just to be in his presence because he just exudes this uh, humbleness and, and confidence and strength. Like he's so incredibly humble. Um, but everybody says he has, his mindset is just unbelievable. And just to pick his brain on, on just his mindset and when he's suffering, because that's also a big part of what I'm into is the mindset and the mental game. Um, I, do, I do spend a lot of time on that with my clients. And just you see him when he's suffering in the hardest parts of a race, you'll always notice that he smiles, right? 
-hmm. and that's his and he has this ability to push himself like so far beyond what most people can and just to be in his presence number one just to feel his humility and also to uh, pick his brain on his mindset i think that would be pretty cool no yeah that'd be awesome uh, yeah that, that is actually added to my list now that is that would probably be one guy i would want to have coffee with as well um but yeah, Simon, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. Uh, it's really cool to get to know you and like get to know kind of some of the people behind the scenes of some of these amazing athletes. And like I said, I think you guys and you women as well are very, are very humble, like with these behind these sports people. And it's, it goes on, it sometimes it goes unnoticed. I mean, I've been on enough national team trips from swan years and coaches and people booking your flights all the way down to, you know, the guy filling up your water bottles and giving you a massage like the the those guys and girls go unnoticed and so you're one of those people and i'm glad i could have you on the podcast get to know you as an athlete get to know you as a person as a coach as well so if you guys want to check out simon uh, be sure to go to the link in the description below i'm going to put a link to his website i'm going to put a link to uh, his social media and uh yeah you could bug him go ask him some questions if you're an up-and-coming junior he'd probably love to chat with you just even if you have a question, so don't hesitate to reach out. He seems like a very nice dude. Um, but yeah, cool. thanks guys. Thank you. Um, and we'll, uh, see you next time.